0: Welcome into another edition of the Sports Kiki Podcast. My name is Alex Reamer. It is episode number 10, which means we've done nearly half of these things during the coronavirus lockdown, if that's believable. Uh, but we have the new normal here. Um, we are so proud to be part of the Outsports Podcast Network. You can listen to us wherever podcasts uh, can be found. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, just listen and download to the show. That is all we ask. And I want to take a second this week at the top to thank all of you who continue to check out our site, Outsports, during all of this. Though uh, you may or may not have heard, sports are on pause right now. We do not have a shortage of topics and things and people to write about because, though, yes, uh, Outsports is ostensibly a website about sports, it really is about the people who we write about. It's about out people. In sports, doing their thing, we love telling those stories, and we have a great story on the website right now, our top story of the week from our co-founder, Sid Ziegler, and the title is, A Gay Slur, A Punch, Now a Queer Soccer Player is Suspended, and Everyone Wants to Fix It. That's a hell of a tease. Uh, The Cliff Notes version is, uh, Henry Bethel is an NCAA soccer player at the very liberal Sarah Lawrence College. Uh, He was in the midst of his freshman year before the shutdown occurred. Um, And basically, he was tired of hearing gay taunts on the field. And on senior night last October, he took matters into his own hands and punched an opponent whom he heard taunt him. He wound up getting suspended for three games, Henry did. And now we're left with the question, Should he serve the rest of his suspension? Because he would still be suspended for the start of next season. Should he still serve that suspension? There were two homophobic incidents earlier last season involving the Sarah Lawrence College soccer team, involving opponents uh, of theirs, I should say. Uh, Henry was called to gay slur on another occasion. And though conference officials, and this is really the crux of the story, though conference officials seemed well-intentioned, uh, everyone seemed to want to help. One of the players who Henry heard say a Gessler was actually suspended for one game. So everyone is good intentioned, but they really didn't do anything of substance to address the issue in terms of education and trying to figure out why these homophobic taunts are still used and how to prevent uh, athletes, their athletes, from using these taunts on the field, so uh, it, it really is a an interesting story. As a lot of interesting questions, so read that if you haven't already. Um, so that's what's on my mind in terms of out sports this week. Read us <laughs> for support the content we're doing. We love doing it, and you know every Friday we have these Zoom chats. Friday night, uh, we have them 7 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. We don't discriminate. We do both coasts. And uh, it's just been awesome to be part of them every Friday and seeing uh, our community and connecting with people because though we are told to socially distant, uh, it sounds like a cliche, but it's true. I think that social connection is just so important and has never been more important. And we will talk about that more this week with our guest, Scott Kiernan, who is the food and entertainment editor for Boston Magazine. But before we do that and we get into the interview, uh, which is a damn fun one, by the way... uh, I do want to just—and I've been doing this every week, but it's on my mind. How could it not be on your mind? Uh, Just the total cluster bleep of a response to this virus. And there's a lot of anger out there right now, rightfully so. Millions more people filed for unemployment this week. And when you're angry, it is easy to scapegoat. But here's a reminder to keep your anger and your venom and your tirades. Keep them directed at the White House— And Donald Trump, never forget the coronavirus. This was in briefing reports in early January. By late January, our intelligence organizations were basically sounding the alarm on this. Health and Human Service Secretary Alex Azar, January 28th, had a phone call with Trump about this. And what was Trump's response? He said that his secretary was being alarmist. Okay? And yes, flights from China were banned at the end of January. And then nothing was done For February, and really until Wednesday, March 11th, the day where Rudy Gobert tested positive, we found out Tom Hanks and his wife Rita Wilson had coronavirus, and finally that night, Trump started to take some action, shutting down travel to and from Europe. Then, a few days later, we had the social distancing guidelines, and and here we are, but there was about a six-week lag time. Between the end of January, mid-March, we did nothing. It was so crucial. Do not take your eye off the ball, people. You're right to be angry. You're right to be furious. And there is one person and one administration more than anybody else who got us in, who who didn't do enough to prevent us from uh, the daily dystopia we are living in today. Don't forget that. And when we talk about returning to some semblance of normalcy, when we talk about sports coming back, Uh, it's really about the testing. And the fact of the matter is we don't have enough testing still in this country. And and you look at Germany. They are slowly going to be opening back up. They can test 300,000 people per day, okay? They have intensive tracing systems in place as well that traces the virus's origin so we can quarantine those people, slow the spread. We don't have anything close to that in the U.S. right now, and there are no apparent plans for that either. Um, and if you want to know one number that tells you kind of where we are with this in terms of testing, because there's so much noise and misinformation out there. So I've been searching for give me the one number that tells us where we are and how far we need to actually go. I found it in the Atlantic. It's called the test positivity rate. And that is the amount of people how many people out of out of the people who you test positive who you test for coronavirus, how many test positive? You can see math wasn't really my strong suit, but you get the point, right? Test positivity rate out of how, how, how many people you test, How what percentage of them test positive? Well, in the U.S. right now, we are at 20%. So 20% of the people who we test for coronavirus wind up testing positive. 20%. That is so high. In Germany, it's 7%. In Canada, it's 6%. In South Korea, it is 2%. In Italy, it is 15%. We are even higher than Italy. And what does that mean? That means that we are not conducting nearly enough Tests Because if one in five people who were testing for coronavirus test positive, that means we are only testing really sick people. We're not testing those with mild symptoms, never mind those with no symptoms at all. I mean, until we get that test positivity rate down, it shows that we're not conducting nearly enough tests to responsibly reopen society. Uh, And no, Sean Hannity, uh, I am not looking forward or interested in eating hot dogs at baseball games with a face mask on. Please. Uh, so that's that. It's right to be angry. You should be angry, but remember who to be angry at. Now to the interview. Really enjoyed my conversation this week with Scott Kiernan. As I mentioned, he's the food and entertainment editor for Boston Magazine. He wrote a great piece last week titled, Hey Bostonians, Stop Screaming at Strangers. It's basically about this question. We all understand the importance of physical distancing flattening the curve, staying inside as much as possible at our homes. We understand all of that and respect that, and most of us are trying to do that. But we are not perfect. Sometimes when we are out for a run or a jog, we may get a little too close to somebody. Some of us may want to walk with a friend and not stay six feet apart at all times. We may just forget. We may go to shake somebody's hand. We just forget. We are being told to throw away all of the social behaviors and norms we've learned for our lifetimes and adapt on the fly. Mistakes, honest mistakes are going to be made. And that was the point of Scott's piece. There's a lot of shaming out right now, especially on social media, for people who violate these social distancing guidelines. And look, if there are egregious violators, absolutely, they should be called out and shamed. Peer pressure works in that sense. But... If you're walking outside and somebody runs past you without a face mask on, should that person really be yelled at? Or is it just hard to breathe while you're running and wearing a face mask? And if you're out by yourself, I mean, it's, that's the question. So, And I think Scott had a good perspective, great piece. We talk about that. And then also talk about the future of gay spaces and LGBT spaces after this pandemic is over. Uh, Scott wrote a great piece a couple years ago about how the gay bar is dying in the age of tinder and grinder and all of these hookup apps dating apps uh will this just further accelerate the death if you will of the lgbt bar the gay bar the safe space or will this perhaps lead to a rejuvenation of sorts uh so an interesting conversation with scott kiernan also some information about dr anthony fauci's history researching the uh, hiv aids epidemic which uh i wasn't quite aware of either so Scott Kiernan, Boston Magazine. That's on the other side. Thank you for listening. Episode number 10 of the Sports Kiki. Welcome back. It is the Sports Kiki podcast. We have a man I'm not sure quite how much he knows about sports, but I know he can kiki. It's a Scott Kiernan, who's the food and entertainment editor for Boston Magazine. Scott, how are you?
1: Hey, Alex. Doing all right? And
0: you are correct. I don't know anything about sports, so don't even try me on that. <laughs> <first>. <laughs> but you but you do know what a kiki is, and you can kiki, correct? <laughs> That, I'm absolutely
1: 100% uh, familiar with the Kiki and all its various myriad forms. 100%. Excellent. Yep.
0: That's that's good. I, that's what you like to hear. We're off to a good start. Um, you wrote a piece for Boston Magazine a couple weeks ago that I think, or, or last week rather, that I think just really encapsulates a lot of my feelings with um, social distancing and how people are acting in public spaces. It's called, Hey, Bostonians, Stop Screaming at Strangers. Basically, uh, you were... <laughs> Enjoying a lunch with your better half in one of the many great yep. green spaces we have in Boston, and you noticed a runner uh, yelling at somebody who was too close to them. Just kind of give us a brief overview of the article and what your general point is with uh, you know your view on social distancing and especially in public spaces and how everyone's kind of been handling that.
1: Yeah, sure. So it started. It was all sort of instigated by this experience I was having a you know little socially distanced picnic in a park and a right. uh, runner. I overhear her screaming at this couple, you know, six feet away, expletive, and um, it was just so, it was so upsetting because it was just it was trying to find this little moment of relaxation in all the stress and anxiety that's been going on, and it felt really unnecessary. Because look, I understand everyone's doing their best to you know stay socially distant and make responsible choices, whatever that means for them and for others. But at the same time, you know, this is like this humongous upheaval of life that we're all kind of going through very suddenly together. And along the way, it's inevitable that, like, people are going to resort to their old habits for a moment. Like, maybe the guy did wander within five and a half feet of you instead of six. OK, so be it. Like, you didn't get coronavirus in that two seconds. Or, you know, maybe this person and uh, how they decide they want to, you know, deal with wearing a mask in what situations is a little bit different in the way you feel. You know, right. put your sheriff badge away. Um, you Don't citizens arrest everyone at every corner because they're not handling this very unprecedented situation in exactly the same way you do. Because at the end of the day, we all have to go back to normal one of these, one of these days, and we don't want to mm-hmm. go back to a society where we all thought it was fine to just start screaming at each other. <laughs> that's sort of the yeah. long and short of it.
0: Yeah, and, and it's about, and, you know, your experience happening in Boston. I think this is happening everywhere. Uh, last weekend... Uh, a guy recognized me from the radio, and I went to shake his hand, and he was like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, old habits die hard. That's uh, right. that's such a good point. Um, exactly. And what I also enjoyed about that piece, and you made sure to care. it's, you know, social media, obviously, it's always impossible to have a nuanced view of things, but I feel right. like that's especially the case now, where if you were to articulate what you just said, you know, I feel like people pile on, oh, you're not taking the science seriously, and it's like, no, I, I am, but you know, I, I feel like there's a lot of shaming going on as well. You see people taking pictures of others if they're walking in a group of three or four. And i it's just, yeah. I don't know. I understand the need to, peer pressure is good in this sense. I get that. But I also, the shaming just makes me really uncomfortable too. I was wondering your thoughts on all that. A hundred percent. And
1: I'll say this, and I I took pains in the story that you mentioned to say, look, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be responsible. I'm not saying you shouldn't make smart choices. And I think it's totally appropriate. If you want to call out like a totally egregious oversight, someone is doing something that is patently irresponsible. Okay, go for it. Um, But, you know, when you say listen to the science, listen to the science in all circumstances. That also means that, you know, if you are in the middle of a grassy knoll, with by yourself you don't have to have a mask on or if you're in the middle of a grassy knoll with someone else uh, with masks on you shouldn't be doing that because you shouldn't be mixing anyway or if it's Mm -hmm. the person you're you've already been quarantined with you don't need the mask so when when we say listen to the science it means also, don't always err on the side of, I have to do... Well, maybe I shouldn't say that. I'll get a lot of shit for that. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but this is the science in all circumstances, both the ways in which this is transmitted and the ways in which this is not actually transmitted. And sometimes you're just making a show for it.
0: I agree. And I also say, you know what? Mental health is important, too. I mean, if I'm going to catch coronavirus by running around Castle Island and getting fresh air then I guess I'm going to catch it regardless. You know, I can't stay sequestered yeah. indoors, and I don't care. I know that that, that, that sounds selfish. I, I just think mental health is so important. I'm not saying I need to go to packed bars or restaurants for my mental health. I don't even need to go to the har- – I don't know how to do anything with the hardware store. I'm not going to Home Depot like others. But, <laughs> I mean, I, wanna, I, I want to go outside, and I'm going to go outside. Sorry. like I am. Absolutely yeah and if you want to go for a run, it's not
1: that difficult you know to stay six feet away from people and if occasionally someone wanders into your uh orbit, you're probably not going to freak out at them and hopefully they'll return the favor if it's just a pure accident
0: right absolutely there's no doubt and and I, and and I also you know I'm someone who I always, I'm a new, I you know, I don't like to bury my head in the sand. I'm a news guy. My nightly viewing habits, I'm like a seven year old woman. I'm Chris Hayes into Rachel Maddow. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the last couple of weeks, I mean, I really have kind of shut that off. Not that I want to bury my head in the sand, but I don't need the blow-by-blow, blow, the sensation. I, I I don't need it in my life mentally. I'm just wondering, I know you follow the news closely as well, if your news habits have kind of changed during this
1: Oh, I think so. I mean, yeah. When it started yeah. off, I was watching every single press conference. I mean, why I don't know, but I was putting myself through it anyway. Right. You know, I was masochism really? Every exactly, exactly. Just that side of me. Uh, you know, I would turn, open up Twitter <laughs> every single morning before I get out of bed and go, "Why is my heart racing before I've even had you know a minute to open my eyes?" Practically. Um, and so I've definitely dialed back on that, A, because I don't feel like I'm getting a tremendous amount of valuable information from the people I'm supposed to be getting valuable information from. I mean, you know, Dr. Fauci aside, all the other half the other jokers up there, I really don't care what they're saying right now anyway. I don't cross half of it. Right. Um, and, you know, other than that, I just kind of feel like we all know what the situation is. We all know what we need to be doing. Um, and I want to say, too, again. I am all for socially responsible activity right now in social distancing. I've got 75-year-old parents. I want to keep them safe. I don't want them getting sick. Um, but we all know the situation is. We all know what we need to be doing. And at this point, it's just sort of waiting for someone, for an adult in their room, to put together some real substantive information about how we are addressing this and how we're going to start rolling back to a, like, functioning, Civilized, (laughs) normal society, or hopefully better than normal. Because maybe we'll take some of the stuff we learned from the situation, and and maybe it'll be you know an even better and more productive world when we come back to it. I don't know.
0: Yeah, no, I know, and I I do want to get to that too. Uh, You know, a couple years ago, I think you wrote a great piece about uh, about the decline in gay bars and LGBT spaces, specifically here in Boston, but it's a national trend as well. I'm just wondering if you think you know, it's gonna be obviously a very slow reopening, you know, in most places in the country. But do you think in general, this experience will further accelerate that decline? Or will we maybe see kind of a resurgence and defiance among younger people who may go out more? Just wondering, because as we mentioned, these these a lot of these spaces have been hurt anyway, over the last few years, due to the proliferation of apps and just greater acceptance as well in society. Totally. No, it's a great question.
1: And I'm, I'm still wrestling with that. I mean, on yeah. one hand, these are you know, bars like any other, and they are facing the same uh, financial stresses right now that all bars and restaurants are facing, which is to say a lot of them probably won't be able to reopen um, if this continues much longer. It'd be a miracle if a lot of them could at this point. At the same time, I do think that one thing we're taking away from the situation is the fact that we all really crave, we are social creatures. Right. At the end of the day, we crave other people, even the most introverted among us um, really want to feel connected with folks. And so I do think there is a chance that for those gay spaces that manage to survive, that they do really well afterwards. If they can, like, cross that finish line of this period, maybe there will be a bit of a resurgence because we remember that in this time, like, we, we want that kind of connectedness. I've never wanted to, like, hug people more than right. when you can tell me I can't hug anybody. <laughs> right. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> yeah. Usually, it's get away from me. But now, bring it in. <laughs> exactly.
1: Bring it in and then some. You know? It's a, <laughs> it's a party. <laughs> Free love, baby. No. I, mean, I honestly, like, I've just never felt... Or, like, I want to connect with other people than during this period where I'm, you know, sort of forbade to do so. So I do think that if they can make it, I think the gay spaces, you know, will at least have that kind of emotional thing going for them. I have seen um, a slow trickling of, like, the online virtual gay hangout kind of thing happening. Like, there's this new party in Cambridge called Night Rider that I follow. I haven't made it to one once because, frankly, I think we only were able to do one or two before quarantine uh, kicked in. <laughs> but, like, they've started doing this, like, every couple Saturday night, like, Zoom version of it. So it's, like, you yeah, know, go-go dancers and other scantily clad um, sweaty people, like, on Zoom. Uh, I just caught something in Provincetown doing, like, a piano bar, virtual piano yeah. bar thing. Well, you know, I hmm. think uh, the gay community has definitely been at the forefront of pioneering a lot of online stuff, wink, wink, nod, nod. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> yes. And, you know, <laughs> maybe this will be an Maybe, maybe you we'll know, also, in this time, find some kind of creative ways to get social spaces online.
0: <sighs> Once you go back to Craigslist, there's no going back. Um, <laughs> R.I.P. R.I.P. I hope we don't go there. Um, but, to me, I, the <laughs> Zoom chats suck. I'm sorry. I hate Zoom yeah. chats zoom parties they, they they stink i don't like it's not the same not even and, and, and it, i guess people have to make the best of it but it angers me that people act like they're fun i don't think i don't know it's not the same <laughs> damn it well you <laughs> so know that what funny i say. i feel
1: like you, no I, I i'm here for it i mean when you do a zoom chat, i always feel like you have to be constantly on the entire yeah, time at normal. least i do like there's never a little moment where i feel like i can relax my eyes keep darting back to my own picture in the corner of the screen where I'm just like, oh my God, I have, I've never had body dysmorphia more than having to stare at my face more in the last three weeks than I have to. I don't even have a mirror in my bedroom, okay? Like, I have one in the bathroom, I make sure I'm not an embarrassment, and then I walk out the door because I just can't open up that door for myself. Um, so to have to stare at myself, talking to other it's people tough. constantly, it's awful. I can't stand it.
0: So you don't have one of those fun backgrounds, I guess? You know,
1: I don't – I'm. this is me showing my, like, uh, uh, tech backwardness. I don't even, like, know yeah, I don't how to even do know. the weird background. I'm not experimenting with that. I'm just trying to, like, coach my mom on, on how to not have the iPad facing the ceiling. You know, like, we're doing bare – very minimum Zoom
0: level 101, you know? <laughs> That's too fun. You mentioned, though, the apps. Like, I mean, obviously, before I came out, you know, I was all over chat rooms. I think a lot of people were. But once you do the real thing, like once you've actually had sex, the chatting, the cyber, not quite the same. And for me, like, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's it's like grinder. I had it at the start of this. I deleted it because I'm like, what the hell is the point of this? Like, I'm not meeting up. Just right. endless chat. So I wonder if others are feeling the same. I mean, hope peop- I mean, hope people are still are not meeting up randomly. I bet they are though. Uh, I don't know. That's interesting right. because the endless chat, like it's just it's just not a substitute for me at all. I don't know.
1: Absolutely not. No, I don't think so either. I mean, I, look, you can you can sex till you're blue in the face, but really, to me, those apps are all about the utilitarian purpose of like, are you nearby and do you have a pulse? And, like, do you fit a general, the general parameters of what I'm looking for at this moment in time? I mean, let's be honest. That's kind of what the
0: purpose is. The standards are high. Do you have a pulse? Um, Exactly. When it's three o'clock in the morning, you know, you do what you got to (laughs) do. Now, and I also think on a little bit more seriously, you know, I do think you mentioned this, you know, you never wanted to hug somebody more. I do think that the social distancing is especially difficult for the LGBT community because we are, I think, on the whole, a very affectionate. Community. We have, you know, and I also think that, you know, we are so interconnected to so many different people. And a lot of, you know, folks, you know, come from different backgrounds or find their new LGBT family. And I just feel like this is, it's hard for everybody, obviously, but I think there's something special about the social aspect to the LGBT scene that is just, you know, I think especially hurts here. No.
1: Totally, totally agree, because I think a lot of people forget that a lot of LGBTQ folks they don't necessarily have the same support system right already that other people do, like they may be not as close to their families because maybe they're uh, you know blood families that is because um, they don't necessarily accept them or they don't have children at this point in life, you know maybe the of um, same sex uh, same gender couples end up having kids a little bit later in life compared to some of their peers. Um, there's a lot of reasons why they may not have the same support system in place, and so I do think that not have not being able to connect is going to hurt that community um, in a really kind of unique way.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's it's hard. I was talking with um, a researcher at Fenway Health uh, last week on the show, and he was talking about you know the medical mistrust in the LGBT community too, and. Or connected because we've been getting tested for HIV AIDS, you know, prep most of us, you know, for for a long time. But, you know, you talk about trans, you know, lesbian women, he said there is a lot of disconnected. People are not as connected to the to medical uh, to, you know, PCPs either in the gay community and the LGBT community at large. And you do forget that.
1: Absolutely. I mean, even just on the, on the national level, like we were talking earlier, we mentioned the name, you know, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who, of course, is, right. you know, up on, on, um, on television every day giving us our updates. And a lot of folks are looking to him as this, you know, tremendous hero and this voice of reason. And he certainly is to a large extent. But I also know a lot of older gay folks who are, you know, activists in the 1980s around HIV and AIDS when Fauci was leading uh, much of the government in response to that. And they have a lot more complicated feelings about him. Um, They still look at him as, you know, an expert and and a voice of reason and someone who ultimately did a lot of right by the community, but it didn't always start out that way. There was a lot, the the relationship was a lot different. And so even for, even with some of these folks that we're looking to as, again, kind of the voice of reason, a lot of gay folks have a little bit more mistrust than maybe some of the lay lay population, the civilians do, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that about Dr. Fauci. Can you explain, can you explain? Yeah, no, ab-
1: absolutely. Yeah. So he was um, he was leading the I'm going to butcher the full name, but it's the NIAID National right. Institute of Allergies and Infectious Diseases. Thank you. Yes. Um, he was leading that back in the 1980s. Um, and a lot of ACT UP activists who was this kind of radical group of HIV AIDS activists in the 1980s, um, they had a kind of complicated relationship with him because, you know, he was, by their mind, very um single focused on certain avenues of drug trials and treatments and following certain protocols. And they felt like some of those methods um, were not to our greatest advantage and it was slowing things down. And uh, some of the messaging that was coming out, there were concerns about, you know, whether it was creating greater stigma against people with HIV-AIDS that really was necessary because of the confusion in those early days about how it could be transmitted and how it could not. Um, And eventually, you know, the activists and Fauci and his team wound up working together really well and actually pioneered a lot of new approaches to this science where members from certain communities would actually be embraced on board uh, to be able to give their input. And there was a lot of good that came out of it. But in the very earliest stages, uh, there was, you know, to say it was antagonistic might be too strong a word, but it certainly was very complicated and there was a lot of concern on both sides. Um, over time, you know, now I talk to folks and they have a lot of really great things to say about them, but it took a minute for it to get there, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was a complicated and, and kind of, you know, interesting
0: time and period. How about Dr. Burks? Cause she was an HIV AIDS researcher as well, right? She was. Yeah. And I believe, you know, to be honest, I, I not super
1: familiar with sort of at yeah. what point she kind of entered the game on that. Um, I was just was reading this really great book. It's called How to Survive a Plague by David France and there's a documentary uh movie about it as well that kind of follows a lot of this act up AIDS activism nineteen eighties. Um there's the play by play of it and oh she is certainly mentioned in that. I don't recall Burke being mentioned in it. Hmm. Uh that certainly doesn't mean she wasn't a player at the time but uh,
0: she didn't seem to figure as prominently interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um I wrote a
1: couple great weeks stars, ago though.
0: Who? Oh great stripes, yeah she's great she's ready stars, though. She is ready for the uh, for the face masks. Let me tell you, she'll have the always the best ready. ones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I do, f- I do fear that we're gonna have a whole new genre of insta gaze sporting, you know, l- face mask lukes, if you will. I don't want to live in that <laughs> world. <laughs> Designer face there. masks. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. Hey, queen. How high can you pull it up on your nostrils? Kind of business. It's, I mean, the hottest,
0: the the hardest ho- <laughs> carnival face mask real- quarantine realness. It's coming. Oh, and I, I hope they're all shamed. Imagine... <laughs> who, sponsored, who sponsored your face mask? You know what oh, I mean? Was God. it sponsored
1: by Chappie? Or is that <laughs> is that even still around? Is that app still I around? No I, I not just...
0: will nod my head and pretend I know what you're talking about. Yes, sure. <laughs> um, do you think, though, and I wrote this a couple weeks ago, kind of jokingly, and, you know, my beautiful Twitter fans, I don't think quite got it. But, uh, you know, like, I do think there is part of it. Like, I have not shaved uh, trimmed my chest hair in six weeks or whenever this started um i wonder if there will be an aspect here where you know some of our i think i'm just talking about cis gay men largely you know there is a vanity component here that i don't know do you think this maybe will cause people to go like yeah it's not so important if i don't get the perfect high fade at the shoe barber you know because my roommate cut my hair during quarantine i don't know do you think this will cause us to lose our vanity a little bit scott or would be worse than. I ever. mean, I hope so. I
1: hope so. But you're talking, like I said, to someone who doesn't even have a mirror in their bedroom. So <laughs> oh,
0: true. Probably, That's right. You're like the worst.
1: Probably not the right, not the right audience. Um, yeah, I think to a certain extent. I mean, my other half, he's like freaking out right now because he uh, he can't get a haircut, and I think he looks great. You know what I mean? Like I love that it's yeah. a little less kept. Um, I also used this period to encourage him to let his body hair grow a little bit more. You know what I mean? Like, he's got a little bit of natural, but he does keep it a little more manscaped than I do. So I'm like, you know, this is, hey, no one's going to see but me. I think it's sexy. Like, just let it be for a minute. And so I won that battle. You know, I win the war, that remains to be seen. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I do think there's maybe a little bit more relaxation around some of those issues. But of course, you know, at the same time, when people are only connecting virtually and you've gotta have like this perfect, you know, um uh Zoom profile, maybe people like are taking a little more time around that. I don't know. Not me.
0: Uh, <laughs> how about uh last one for you. Corona stash. Uh take it or leave it. Corona oh the stash. Um yeah, well eh, I have I'm kind of a no on that.
1: Wow I I I am. Well Uh, All right, let me think about that. I mean, I have a full beard, so I'm all for facial hair. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm all for facial hair. I just, it's like when November comes around, I get a little, there's a little part where it's like, okay, like we're all kind of doing this thing and I kind of roll my eyes. That being said, I appreciate, because I've been thinking about the opposite. I've been thinking about shaving during Hmm. this time because I'm like, what does my face look like? I don't remember because I've had a beard for like (laughs) 10 years. And now, no one will have to see me. So this might be a really good time to, like, remind myself what my face looks like. And then if I don't like it, I'm Italian. It'll be fixed by next week. So <laughs> if someone wants to do the opposite and they want to use this time to experiment with some facial hair, okay, I'm all for it. But there's a little part of me that goes, oh, that, you know, rolls my eyes a little bit.
0: What yeah. can I say? I'm little a cynic. Yeah. I'm a, and I'm a follower. Why, are you doing so it? I... Yeah, I'm a follower. I have a mustache. Yeah. Um <laughs>
1: As long as it looks good, but just just a stash though. We're not doing we don't do the like a beardal area, right?
0: Oh no, I have well that's a thing. So I had it two weeks ago. It was straight mustache. Didn't quite love it. I looked like I was you know ready to sign up uh, for the Hitler Youth around here. So I, so, a, so I and as you know as a Jewish person and not the best thing. So I uh, so now I have like a beard. with I've my I've scruff, but the mustache is you know darker because. You know, I, I have so no, so I, I really just kind of have the beard right now, so I, I don't really. Okay. I'm kind of cheating, I guess. Well, that's a different story because I'm, I'm, I'm all for
1: the full over scruff. I like yeah. I like the full over scrub. It's just when it's like you know the mustache only. It's got that little like creeper in a white van handing out lollipops kind of vibe to yeah. it that I've never. You know, we don't need that in life. So um, I mean, some people can pull it off, but
0: it's a, it's a delicate dance. Scott Kiernan is the uh, Food and Entertainment Editor for Boston Magazine. Scott, thanks for coming on. Always. Thanks for having me. Again, a big thanks go out to Scott Kiernan, Food and Entertainment Editor for Boston Magazine, for taking the time uh, and coming on the show this week. Wanted to change it up a little bit. Uh, I enjoyed conducting the conversation. And as I always say, hopefully you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed uh, doing it, uh, if you have guest ideas especially during these times, I say this every week but I mean it now more than ever, please reach out to me, uh, against my better judgment, my Twitter DMs are open, you can find me on there at alexreamer one that again is at AlexDreamer one thank you for listening, we'll talk to you